Joel Osteen's former associate pastor, John Gray, attempts to ambiguously repent of sexual sin. And a brother in Christ is pelted with everything from flour, soda, glitter, and silly string as he attempts to preach the gospel in Charlotte. Stay with us as we look at these and other stories on the 511 News. Now, there are two kinds of people in the world, only two kinds, not black and white, not rich and poor. There are those who are dead in sin and there are those who are dead to sin. After three nights of unbridled lawlessness across London, the contagion is spreading. The problem is that God has already judged this. He has judged murder already. I don't need to question it. I don't need to ask and wonder what his plan is. We're commanded as Christians not to participate in the works of darkness, but expose them. Welcome back to the 511 News. I'm your host, Chad Davidson of Good Fight Ministries. And on today's episode, we are going to be discussing repentance a lot and what it means to actually repent, because I do believe that that is something that is misconstrued in a number of ways, some of which do not believe it has anything to do with your behavior, uh, that there's no effect when it comes to behavior and repentance, that one is just simply the change of mind and you just think something different and you have this mental ascent and that's repentance. And there's others who believe it's something entirely different and then there's others who are biblical. But one of the things that I wanted to talk about is the idea of also public repentance. And this comes on the heels of what is taking place because of a pastor. I wouldn't consider him a biblical pastor, and we'll talk about why I wouldn't consider him that. But Pastor John Gray in Greenville. And if you guys don't know who John Gray is, I'm going to go over a little bit about who he is, uh, not only his pastoral role at the church they call Relentless Church in Greenville, but also a little bit of his history as we go along here. And uh, so I want to give a little bit of an overview before we talk about what has taken place and some of the exposing, uh, as we will call it, that has been taking place even on secular podcast shows and TV. And so we're going to talk about that because he's gotten a lot of publicity. Uh, in fact, recently he's a He's a black individual, so recently when the Black Lives Matter uh, stuff has been taking place and when it comes to racial reconciliation, some of the talks that I've seen gone viral online were with him sitting down discussing it with others, including white people, and letting him know, you know how he feels about everything that's going on. And so he's gotten a lot of exposure lately, especially one of the more viral videos about him was him meeting with Joel Osteen because he was an associate pastor under Joel Osteen at Lakewood Church. And they showed Joel Osteen crying when he was about to leave, not in a sense that he was, you know, mad at him, you know, for leaving or anything, just crying because he was losing his associate pastor. Now, I do not believe Joel Osteen is a legitimate biblical pastor either. Um, I made a meme quite a bit ago at uh, Good Fight uh, that said, uh, you know, this is more towards the, when that was a, a popular topic was what people self-identify as. Not that that's not a popular topic today, but it was something that was very new to people. And I said, you know, I made a meme with a picture of Joel Osteen and it said, motivational speaker self-identifies as a pastor. 
because it doesn't line up with reality. But nonetheless, John Gray was a pastor there. And then he got a lot more popular when he had a three a show that was involved in three seasons called The Book of Gray on the Oprah Winfrey Network that highlighted his pastoral duties. Uh, John Gray has a wife and a couple of children, um, and they went in 2018 to start that church, and that was kind of what went viral in terms of watching Joel Osteen weep as he saw his associate pastor moving on to another church, but believed he was going to do this radical work for the Lord. He published a couple books, including one titled Win From Within. I'm don't have a lot of hope for what that book has to say, but nonetheless, he drew national criticism in 2019 when he bought his wife a Lamborghini on their eighth wedding anniversary, of course, through much of the tithing and offering efforts at his church. <laughs> nonetheless, he bought a $1.8 million house in Simpsonville um, and then became in a, a embroiled in a personal scandal that he addressed on national television after the speculation grew of the Lamborghini gift because he had had admitted on what was called the real that he had an emotional affair that he had since addressed. And a lot of people saw this buying of the car as somewhat of a, I'm sorry, here are some flowers for me cheating on you. It's just a very expensive set of flowers. And I remember discussing with a young lady just about, Hey, you know, you know, we're, you know, we were talking about a spouse who had cheated and they said, yeah. And the, and they got a nice ring out of it because the spouse had cheated and they came back and bought this nice ring. And she said, you know, it's interesting because when I look at that, all I would do is remember every time I looked at that, the fact that you had cheated and then tried to buy me off with what had taken place. But Nonetheless, that seems to be what's happened with Pastor Gray. And so what took place, I want to talk to a little bit about what has come out since then. And if you go to the Christian Post, they have an article on what has happened with John Gray about his submitting to a process of restoration. Mind you, this is a second new sort of allegation in terms of infidelity, one that is seemingly more than just emotional. And this is what he had said to uh, the Relentless Church. He said, quote, I'm sorry for the areas of my life that I left unattended, that I was apathetic about, the areas where I have treated the calling of God, the grace of God, and the hand of God casually in my life for every area of behavior that has dishonored the holiness of God. I want to tell you that I'm sorry. There have been a number of things, blogs, some that are accurate, some that are not, but all of it my responsibility. Now, this is the part that made my ears go up because you guys may have remembered the fall of a man named Clayton Jennings. And Clayton Jennings was a very popular speaker. I know he was endorsed by some pretty well-known guys, including Tim Tebow, who considers him a friend. And Clayton Jennings had done all these videos, these like hype videos and things that he was doing. And I thought, this guy's a little out there. But then he was exposed for using that platform in order to sleep with women all over the country, really. A lot of them expressed things where they would literally watch his videos of his motivational speaking because it wasn't biblical teaching. And then he would play those videos with these women and then basically tell them that God was telling them to sleep together and then sleep with them. And he did this with, did this with a number of women and was exposed as such. And we actually posted about it on our Good Fight site, and Clayton Jennings personally responded to us. And I personally responded back, and then he deleted his own comment. 
But nonetheless, he did respond and he did a very similar tactic that what John Gray is doing here. And that is the ambiguous repentance. This ambiguous nature of repentance, especially when it comes to the public manner by which he's repenting, right? Because we can look at it and say, you hurt people publicly, so you should publicly repent of the things that you've done. And I'll talk about biblically why I believe there's a precedence for that. But when it comes to this specific thing, and by the way, that was Pastor Joe texting us about later shows we're going to be doing today that came through on my computer. But nonetheless, when we look at this repentance, so to speak, Clayton Jennings did the exact same thing. There's a lot of allegations of the things I've done. Some of them are true or some of them are not. Well, which ones, bro? Like, which ones? You're saying that people are lying about you. Point out the lie. Then show us, but this is the place where I need to repent. This is how I actually need to repent. Because this stuff is pretty serious. In fact, the latest allegation against Gray came from a 48-year-old Houston woman who identified herself as, quote, Mary. During an interview with online personality Tasha Kay, which was broadcast on YouTube, the Houston woman said during her interactions with Gray, she sent him partially nude photos at his request, and he video chatted with her while revealing his underwear. She claimed that he also met with her in Houston and invited her to visit his home, and she declined because she felt he may have wanted to sleep with her. Now, let me tell you something, Mary. If you're sending you're sending scantily clad pictures of yourself at his request, yes, he wants to sleep with you. There, there, I should not have to explain that to anyone. And in all honesty, you probably want to sleep with him. Now, what we need to do is turn from that and repent. It's pretty sad, wouldn't you say? He didn't address these things specifically for obvious reasons. And in fact, Tasha Kay has now released recordings of what appears to be John Gray talking about how his wife doesn't cook for him and things like this, complaining about his wife and that relationship. But once again, what we have here is a public fall of some degree to which he will not actually state and therefore cannot actually repent of. And a lot of people say, hey, you know, you just take your, you you know, the Bible's very clear, confess your sins to God. Yes, that's true. The Bible is also clear that it says that find a brother, you know, to confide in, you know, the, the effective prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And so we want to make sure that we're doing that. We have brothers that we can confide in concerning our sin. But you're also forgetting that there are people you have sinned against. In Matthew 5, 21 through 24, it says this, You have heard that the ancients were told, You shall not commit adultery, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, You good for nothing, shall be guilty for the Supreme Court. And whoever says, You fool, shall be guilty enough to go into fiery hell. Verse 23, therefore, connecting what? The previous statements that Jesus was making about calling someone else a fool. Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar to the Lord and there and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. Recognize that we need to go make it right with the people we have wronged. I need to point out that he calls himself a pastor. James 3.1 says, 
Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such, we will incur a stricter judgment. The fact is, if you are a shepherd and you sin against your sheep, you need to go make it right with them. When you fall into these, not just the allegations, when you fall into these sins, some of which you've already admitted, and of course you leave it ambiguously so that they don't really know which parts, and they can cling to that little portion when you say some of it's not true, and you can simply say, oh, well, they're just lying about him. But in fact, he's done things and sinned against God in this manner that hinder the body of Christ, that that are a stub toe to the body of Christ. This is an issue. And the fact is, is that anyone that is involved in that congregation, he has sinned against them as well. He is a blind man leading the blind into a ditch. He has publicly sinned. He has used his platform of a quote-unquote pastor in order to gain sexual exploits from women. I do not believe just by his doctrine and his lack of of understanding as how to have proper doctrine and refute those who do not. Just from there, he's already disqualified as a pastor because the Bible is very clear that he needs to have a good standing with those outside the church. He's already not qualified to be a pastor because he peddles the prosperity gospel. He's not qualified to be a pastor. Over and over again, this man is not qualified to be a pastor and he needs to get off that pulpit, sit down, repent truthfully, don't stop worrying about your calling and stop worrying about the money, the $1.8 million house you have and the Lamborghinis you can buy. Stop worrying about this nonsense and worry about your soul because you will give an account and you will have stricter judgment and you will give an account to Jesus when he says, who do you say that I am? You're a means for my financial gain is what you would have to answer right now. And you are now a means for my sexual exploits to convince women because of my popularity and because of the presence that I have online, and because of my Oprah Winfrey show, that now you are the means for by which I am getting sexual explicit material sent to me. Is that not disgusting? Is there nothing worse than to use God to profit in this manner? The truth is, is what what Paul talked to Timothy about, is that the people who do peddle these things, is their God is their belly. They have, their, they have their own God that they worship. They probably shave it on a normal basis. They buy clothes for that idol. And the idol is really the person they're looking at in the mirror. Whatever the, whatever the things are that they want to do, they do do. And they do do. That was bad. Uh, they, <laughs> they, that's what they practice. And when we look at what real repentance looks like in the scripture, we're given a clear indication. And what's interesting when we parallel this is we are talking about repentance and also acceptance of somebody who does repent. All right, 1 Corinthians is very clear. And we go over, over this a lot on 5.11 News, but nonetheless, it's something that's important to remember multiple times in both uh, Jude as well as in Second Peter. We talk about the things that, though you know all things, I desire to remind you. There's things we need to be reminded about. And when we think about 1 Corinthians and we think about repentance, we think of 1 Corinthians as a tough letter, letter to call to repentance what was going on in that church, that they were welcoming in people not only people that were sleeping sexually with their, at best, their mother, their stepmother, at worst, their mother, they were sleeping with their father's wife, and they were accepting him. Well, I'm so glad he's coming to church, right? Isn't this great? We have him here at the Church of Corinth. 
And Paul's like, what are you talking about? A little leaven raises the whole loaf. You're going to ruin this congregation. You're accepting this man in and you're welcoming him as a sinner. You shall not eat with someone who would practice wicked things and make them think that they're a believer. Right? And another thing he brings up is that you have people, believers, suing each other in this insurrection and things that are going on. This should not happen in the body of Christ. But then we have 2 Corinthians, and the Corinthians are now needed to repent again. But what is the need for repentance in 2 Corinthians? It's specifically dealing with a person who is who was wrapped up in sin, who then repents, and they have fallen for the scheme of the devil where they do not affirm their love for him. And yes, they say, whatever, you can come, but you, you're a second-class citizen. And they're not affirming to him that your repentance, now you are accepted. We have you back as a brother. And then when he talks about, and I, I think this is a verse that we should all hold dear to our hearts, this set of verses in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, because we deal with true repentance and what it looks like. And I, there's going to be a couple verses that aren't necessarily, I guess they are dealing with repentance, but I think they're just verses that it's something to remember. And in verse 6, these first few words are something to remember, but God who comforts the depressed Remember that. It's God who comforts those who are depressed. That's the God that we have. He's the one where we cast our anxieties, our cares upon him. Because why? Because he cares for us. This is our God. And this is why it's always worth it. Everything, everything you go through, the fact that you can be sorrowful yet always rejoicing, all of it is worth it if at the end we have Christ. No matter what you're going through, remember that. No matter what it is, remember that he is worth it. It says, But God who comforts the depressed comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he has comforted in you. He was comforted in you. As he reported to us, your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. So you're seeing this, that not only that, this is something that should speak to us as believers, that we could send our brothers and sisters in Christ to another church and recognize, hopefully, that they are comforted there. The comfort that he received there by them. That's something that should be very important. Verse 8, For though I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that the letter caused you sorrow, though only for a little while. Now, here's the really, really important thing here. I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. Does it hurt when you share the truth with someone? Yeah, a lot of times it does. Does it hurt somebody when you're telling them things that are wicked in their life and they need to take out of? Yeah, a lot of times it does. When it comes to sharing the gospel, does it hurt to put salt in the wounds of somebody when you're explaining to them that they're a guilty sinner in need of, of God's salvation? Yeah, sometimes it does. But we should always speak with grace as though seasoned with salt so that we know how to answer each person. And Paul here is rejoicing, not simply in the sorrow. Well, I'm so glad I was able to come and yell at you. That was what I was excited about. No, but that the sorrow that they had brought them to the point of repentance, that even though it hurt and there was pain in the night, there was joy in the morning because although it was horrible to see that somebody in sorrow, that does stink. But the fact that it brought them to repentance made it all worth it. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. 
For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. And this is exactly what I believe Clayton Jennings and John Gray, the sorrow that they produce is one of, I've been caught. The sorrow that is produced in them is one that makes sure they can still keep their position. And and sometimes he says, John Gray at least, sometimes I'll have to step away and not teach. You should have stepped away a long time ago when you started reading the scriptures and recognized that you're a false teacher. But if that didn't get you, when you continue to have no victory over sexual sin, you should have recognized that, guess what? Maybe Christ isn't in you because we need to examine ourselves. If we look at the scriptures, we need to examine ourselves to see that we are in the faith. That is something that should be done by all believers. And if we are doing that, we recognize, wait a second, why do I have no victory over this sin? We need to to be striving For this godly sorrow that would lead us to repentance, a true godly sorrow, a godly sorrow for the sin that still remains within us as believers so that we see it and say, God, I want to be sanctified in this area. I don't want to just say, oh, I'm human. I want to say, no, I want to gird up my loins, be a man. I want to stand firm in my faith. And I want God to be ultimately the one who causes the sanctification in my life through his word as the psalmist cried out. Teach, or as the psalmist cried out very clearly to hide God's word in his heart that he may not sin against him. Over and over again, I was reading Psalm 119 throughout our time at our men's retreat and something that just kept sticking out to me. First of all, when you read it, there's 176 verses in Psalm 119 and there's only one verse in all of it and it's verse 122 that doesn't specifically or infer to at some in some way God's word. I think that should be something that sticks on our in our heads and in our hearts is the fact is when God in his word gives us the longest chapter in all of scripture over and over again, what he refers back to is his word. Your, your, your songs or your laws, your precepts are the themes of my song. Open my eyes that I might find wondrous things from your law. Over and over again, your testimonies are true. They're wonderful. Therefore, I follow them. This is our heart when it comes to God. So when I see repentance in the scripture and what it's supposed to look like, this is what we should do. John Gray, Clayton Jennings, repent and stop calling yourself a pastor, stop calling yourself a motivational speaker, and go repent and be part of a congregation. I've never uh, mentioned this guy by name, and that's because, as some of you guys may know, I know um, that we've dealt with him privately, not me personally, but Pastor Joe. But something that's broken my heart was recently seeing some of the things that has come out from Francis Chan, who was a pastor here in, in Simi Valley, California, Uh, A church that when I first came to Lord, and even before I came to Lord, I had visited a number of times. He had done the funeral of friends of mine. And over the course of since he stepped away from that church, and I don't believe what he did was necessarily biblical, because if he was simply leaving that because he didn't feel the call to the pastorate, he probably shouldn't have started a bunch of other churches up in San Francisco and elsewhere. And something that has happened is the deterioration of his teaching from, you know, being fairly orthodox in what he had taught here in Simi Valley and then going forth from that, next thing you know, speaking at things that uh, Rick Warren's wife was speaking at and then then going over to IHOP with Bethel and then now recently doing Zoom calls with heretics like Lou Engel and Bill Johnson 
And then you hear it also in this teaching, because that was something that was very common. It was like, hey, we see him pictured with Todd White and Benny Hinn, and now he's doing Zoom calls. But, you know, what he teaches is right on. But then next thing you know, he's teaching that, you know, transubstantiation and Catholicism basically has been the correct teaching of Scripture, and he got away from it. He repented to Catholics for not welcoming him in as brethren. He recently taught that we are actually part God, not that God gives us communicable attributes and the, not the non-communicable ones given in 2 Peter chapter 1. But you see these things, and then once again, you had this teaching that he had given out where he said that God spoke to him, and in that speaking to him, that once once he warned of the things that was taking place in terms of people speaking out against false teachers like Mike Bickle and like Rick Warren, once he express to people that God is going to start killing them off for for ruining the temple. And it has been a sad deterioration. As I said, we've never said anything publicly, I don't believe, on uh, in terms of Francis, because I know Joe has talked with him privately about some of the things he's taught. But it's pretty heartbreaking to me. And a lot of it, I believe, stems from somebody who wasn't called to the pastor and was there. Or maybe he was at one time and and dipped away from that and and veered off. But falling under true teaching and true Bible teachers, this is what should happen so that you aren't tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. If you are not meant to be a pastor and continue to teach up there, it is a shameful act to do so. And if you continue to teach people false doctrine and do not come underneath true biblical pastorals, a true biblical pastoral ministry where people are refuting false doctrine— and teaching sound doctrine, you are going to continue to weave a tangled web of falsity. And you're not, you're going to be tossed to and fro. And then guess what? You're not doing what Paul told Timothy to do. To what? Watch his life and his doctrine. And in doing though, he will save himself and those who hear him. If you continue to peddle false doctrine, you will continue to help others to peddle false doctrine and you will lead others astray. And it breaks my heart to say this, but you will be like the Pharisees where he said, you keep, you shut off, you keep people from the kingdom of God and you yourself shall not enter. So I pray for him to repent because I do remember seeing beneficial things that he had done for the body across over and over again. And now um, I, I he is so far off, it's it's heartbreaking. But I wanted to talk uh, for a second as, as a, a, you know, hopefully this is an encouragement to you. And I know for some people these things are not encouraging to talk about, but as somebody who loves going out and preaching the gospel on the streets, I was really blessed by seeing um, a picture from something that took place in Charlotte. And guys, this, in all honesty, should, is going to, and we should expect this to be the normative behavior of non-believers when it comes to sharing the gospel, because Jesus was very clear that if they hated him, they will hate us also. And I'm looking at a picture right now, and Lord willing, I know very soon we're going to be switching over to video here on 511 News and hopefully Good Fight as well, soon as well for the Good Fight Radio Show. But there's a picture here of a black man outside of Charlotte at the RNC, I believe, 
and he's got a sign that says Jesus saves and all over him you can see he's been pelted with a number of things and he's got silly string all over him it looks like flowers on him and I'm going to read from the Christian News Net article and it says a black man who regularly preaches the gospel on the streets of Charlotte was pelted with everything from flour, soda, glitter and silly string on Saturday by protesters who were calling for the justice for mistreated African Americans I just think there's so much irony that you could cut through it with a knife as they're mistreating an African American man outside preaching the gospel. The group was also captured on video engaging in collective chants of cops killed Jesus and blank your Jesus. So I guess if you're going to chant blank your Jesus, why do you care if cops killed him? But nonetheless, Sam Bethea has been preaching in the open air for the past six years and has attended various demonstrations as an opportunity to declare the word of God. He previously had a lengthy criminal record, arrested 29 times, and now wants to share the good news of salvation with the world after Christ saved him. Quote, I do it because God called me to the streets. Amen to that. And I want to encourage you guys. We just got back from Mexico, literally, like I just got back from Mexico. And now we, we got to do some gospel sharing out there. And you don't need to travel somewhere. You don't need to go to Zimbabwe. We can go down to Subway. I know it's a little different with COVID. But guys, we are able to share the gospel. And you see this man out there saying, I'm going to share the gospel because there's going to be a lot of people there. I'm encouraged by that. I'm encouraged that this man said, I know my past, but I look on to the future. I know what I have in Jesus and that he's bought. I've been bought and I've been paid for. And I'm not looking back to to those things. I'm going to look forward and press on to the ultimate prize, which is Christ. And so when we look at this man sharing the gospel, being pelted, being mocked, being ridiculed, we need to look at that and say, that's my brother in Christ, and I want to follow that kind of example. I want to see guys out there, and I want to see more of you guys. We have 511 News, and guess what we have? The 511 Street Team. And guys, today, tonight, watch the premiere of our documentary series, Satan's Sex Scheme. And in episode two and in episode four, you're actually going to see the 511 Street Team on the streets asking questions about pornography, and we actually saw a number of them come to Christ. I can't wait to introduce you guys to the Street Team soon enough. God bless. The 511 News with Chad Davidson has been brought to you by Good Fight Ministries, bringing you news and commentary from a Christian perspective. This show can be heard every Friday wherever podcast shows are available or visit 511news.org. Thank you for joining us and we look forward to being with you next week on the 511 News.